Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Joe Zaylot, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. In late September 2020, President Donald Trump was diagnosed with COVID-19. He received an experimental treatment known as the Regeneron Detail and apparently has responded well. However, after he returned to the White House, questions began to emerge whether this treatment had been developed using a cell line derived from an aborted child. Was this the case, and what are the implications? To respond to these and other questions, we are joined today in a repeat performance by Dr. John Gravenstein. John brings us a wealth of knowledge and expertise on infectious diseases and vaccines, underscored by the fact that, among other positions, he served as global Executive Director of Medical Affairs for Merck Vaccines. John Gravenstein, welcome back to our Bioethics On Air podcast. Joe, thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's great to have you. Before we get going with the interview, I'd like to mention uh, that John was a guest on a previous Bioethics On Air podcast. It was the one titled Moderna's COVID-19 Vaccine, Is It Ethical? It was episode number 42, that, and that one aired back in August. And I'd also like to mention that John recorded two really excellent interviews on vaccines in general and COVID-19 vaccines in particular for the Catholic Medical Association's Dr. Doctor podcasts. And those interviews are available on the uh, website of Redeemer Radio at RedeemerRadio.com. And they are episode 180. There's a part one and there's a part two. And they're really, really good. So I would invite people to to, uh, check out those podcasts as well. So, John. You have described yourself as a vaccine geek. I, I really <laughs> like that. So for people who may not have heard either the earlier Bioethics on Air podcast you recorded with us or the Dr. Doctor interview, can you give us a brief, a brief biography? Sure. Uh, I grew up in Cumberland, Maryland. I'm a product of St. Peter and Paul uh, Catholic schools. And uh, for college, I went to Duquesne University in Pittsburgh at the School of Pharmacy there, became a pharmacist. I paid for my college with an ROTC scholarship, so I owed back four years of service. So I ended up saying 27 years in the Army instead of four. (laughs) So we got a good return on our investment. Uh, The taxpayers have been good. Um, So in in 1983, the Army gave me a job. I I was at uh, Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Washington, and I took a job in in a specialty pharmacy that focused on vaccines and antibody products. And so for the last, oh, 37 years or so, I've been a vaccine geek and an antibody geek. And that's sort of the reason for today's podcast. But anyway, so uh, eventually, I, uh, um, as a colonel, I've become the director of the Military Vaccine Agency, which was a Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, uh, uh, Quint Service uh, Program Office in Washington. And that takes us up to 2006. I then retire from the service and I joined Merck in their vaccine division and I eventually lead their global medical affairs group. And I retired from Merck in uh, the first week of January of 2020 and moved to the eastern shore of Maryland. And I'm back at a different St. Peter and Paul Parish. And uh, so there's a little bit of uh, uh, cyclic uh, nature to this. Yeah. And now you're working full-time 
tracking this COVID nineteen vaccine. I take it from, from all uh, of the, the conversation. Time, but it's, it's, <laughs> there's something in the news every day that uh, deserves right. uh, deserves tracking. So, in other words, with that background, you know what you're talking about. Well, I know. I know what I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> which is sometimes which is helpful, important. <laughs> philosophically, but uh, hopefully, I, I have some uh, useful content that will help your listeners. All right, so let's get into our topic for today. So, what is this Regeneron cocktail that President Trump received, and and how does it work? So, we need to uh, distinguish what a vaccine does and what an antibody does. So you have uh, antibodies in your blood system right now. Everybody on the, everybody listening does, and some of them uh, are designed to uh, bind to measles virus, and some of them bind to tetanus, and some of them react to the last time you cut your finger out in the in the garden, and and you have antibodies against all sorts of viruses and bacteria and 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 things, and that is uh, one of that that's part of your immune system. That's part of how you avoid infections. So if if but they can also be isolated and turned into drugs, turned into, turned into medications, and so if let, let, hypothetically, let's say I was bitten by a dog or a raccoon or a, a bat that had rabies, and I go to Joe's ER and I to get you don't want to do that. No, 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 don't, you don't want to do that. <laughs> well, let's hypothetically. Uh, <laughs> so you know, Joe, that you would want to protect me right away from. The viruses that might still be present in the the bite site, the place where I was bitten, and so you would want to get prompt. You would want to give me prompt protection. So you might give me some rabies antibodies that were harvested from, from some blood donors who had a high level of rabies antibody in their blood, and it gets processed, and and then that gets turned into a, a medication that sits on the ER shelf, ER refrigerator, waiting for. Uh, somebody to come in who needs it. So the good news is it works right away, essentially as soon as it's injected. The bad news is it it, it has a short half-life. It, it wears off. And it wears, let's say, it wears off in about a month. But uh, again, I've gone, gone to the best ER in town, Joe's ER, and Joe knows that he needs to give me durable protection because rabies virus can go into the nerves and sit there for many months, um, sometimes even years in odd cases. And so he wants to give me protection that's durable. So he's going to give me some rabies vaccine that's going to eventually cause me to make my own antibodies. So those first antibodies were alone from somebody else, but the vaccine is going to cause me to make my own antibodies and that will protect me for years. And so, the, so a, a, uh, somebody who's been bitten by a suspected rabid animal will get both products. We'll get antibodies for prompt protection. Unfortunately, it's short-lived. And vaccine for durable protection. Unfortunately, it takes a few weeks for uh, immunity to be induced. And, but the combination, like yin and yang, is the complete picture. So that, that, that gives you what an antibody does that a vaccine doesn't do. And so uh, the, the Regeneron cocktail is a mixture of two um, what are called monoclonal antibodies, really precisely targeted antibodies. And uh, they would, like the rabies antibodies, would go and bind something, go bind the matching uh, virus. And the, these two uh, monoclonals were specifically uh, um, 
built in the laboratory to go bind specific parts of the COVID virus, coronavirus, and um, they, uh, and, and so that's, and, but they're relatively new because we've only seen this virus recently. So they're still in their uh, trials. Uh, and I, uh, they've only been given to maybe 2,000 people so far. And uh, there are results reported out only for 280 people. So this is still pretty new in their use. I should say Regeneron is not the only company developing this kind of approach. Eli Lilly has one. AstraZeneca has one. And um, so this is a fairly well-established technology that's being applied to coronavirus infections. And, uh, you know, but, you know, how have they, have they picked the right binding site for those antibodies? How long does it last? Uh, does it do better in people who have symptoms or don't have symptoms yet or mild disease or moderate disease or severe disease? That's all still being worked out because it's still pretty early in, in the development of these products. And so uh, it, it, uh, today's newspaper had uh, stories about Chris Christie, the former governor of New Jersey, getting a different one of these products, getting the Eli Lilly product, if I'm remembering the paper correctly. And so, you know, over the, you know, the next few months and year, uh, there'll be various reports of uh, how these products work, how, how well these products work. Yeah. So just, uh, you mentioned today's newspaper, we're recording this podcast on October 19th. If, uh, so anyone who may be interested in that. So, and I don't know, John, if you know this or not, but would president Trump have received both this cocktail and a vaccine or would he have just, do you know if he just received the cocktail itself? So what I know is what's in the newspaper in the media. He, uh, and, 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 um, he received a mixture or a, a variety of treatments. He received the these Regeneron antibodies. He received an antiviral uh, chemical drug. Um, you know, not not a, not a complex protein, but a more simple compound uh, called uh, Remdesivir, an antiviral. Yep. He also received apparently dexamethasone, a, a steroid type medication for inflammation. And I'm sure he's you know uh, he, he would have received a variety of other. Supportive uh, treatments as well, right? Now but, he but received no vaccine, all, what was your question? But no vaccine yet. So, uh, uh, so he, re- I mean, he received a number of different medications. Do you think did he receive that because he's the president of the United States? And I'm not trying to make a, a political statement here, but did he receive those? Is the fact that he's a president of the United States did that? make it easier for him to access these treatments or is, are all these, these treatments like the Regeneron, um, the Remdesivir, as you said, are these treatments available right now for people, for any person really who tests positive for COVID-19? They are, the, the products are not widely available. They would be at, um, in, at, you know, a few dozen, maybe a hundred clinical trial sites, which would tend to be large academic medical centers, you know, think university hospitals. Um, Walter Reed is a, uh, you know, well, entra- well established in the, right. in the medical research um, uh, community. And, uh, you know, whether he was, um, you know, uh, 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 you know, whether they made a special call to uh, get him special access or whether they simply enrolled him in a trial, I don't know. Uh, but but 
it, 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 it does not sound like he had a 50-50 chance of getting the vaccine, or sorry, excuse me, did not sound like he had a 50-50 chance of getting the Regeneron product or a placebo, which is what the clinical trial would do. It sounded like he simply got the, the drug, the medication. Um, so, uh, but, so there, I, I suspect that, you know, th- this is a very special patient and, uh, I, I suspect he got special access. Okay. So you, you started to answer this a little bit, but I'd like to, to, to kind of get more of your take on this. Was president Trump cured? And I, I use the word cured in kind of square, scare quotes here. Was he cured of COVID-19 by the Regeneron cocktail or other, uh, and any of the other treatments, um, that he received? It, it, do we have that information or do we have any kind of data on the cocktail's benefits for COVID patients? You, you, you started to mention this a little bit, but I'm wondering if, if you could give us a little bit more, um, a little more information on those two questions. Right. So the caveats are, I have not reviewed his medical records, um, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> you don't have access to the president's medical records. Uh, sorry, no. uh, and and uh, there is in, in fact uh, debate about whether uh, you know how, how forthcoming the, the 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 team has been with uh, various details of his case. But but the president, in his tweets and statements of variety of sorts, has claimed that the Regeneron antibodies quote unquote, cured him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's highly unlikely uh, for a variety of reasons. One of which is, first of all, take you back to high school science classes. You, you oh, would, please don't. No, 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 no. <laughs> It's, it's an easy that. one. Uh, you, you and many <laughs> Don't others, ask me any questions, though. I, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm going to give you the put me on the spot. It's okay. Okay, good. Um, uh, uh, you, you were, you know, the, the principle is change one variable at a time so that you know what caused the effect, right? So, so he was given uh, the antibody, and he was given the antiviral, and he was given the steroid, and he was given oxygen, and he was given who knows what else. Which one of them cured him, or was it the the sum of all of those things that cured him? Or, and, and I'm not even, you know, let let's try to find a, a, a mutual. Definition for cure, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know what he's talking about fundamentally. But but so I went to the Regeneron, and your readers can do the or your listeners can do this too. Go to the Regeneron.com website. Go to their investor pages, and you will find a presentation about the performance of this antibody product. And uh, I had it on the right page. Switched it. Um, and, and, and what, what this uh, antibody product is known to do so far is that it reduces the amount of virus in the body, reduces, doesn't eliminate, uh, and it reduces symptoms, reduces, not eliminates. And so it's a, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of anti- antibodies. Um, I don't, I, there is not yet evidence of a miraculous cure uh, you know, Lords has no uh, has no worry, reason to worry about uh, Regeneron taking its place here. The uh, with all due respect, uh, it, 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 you know, it, no, it, we, there is no scientific evidence that that this is a cure or the cure. And uh, as I say, they, they've only reported out data on two hundred and eighty recipients. There's a long way to go before uh, before we know the relative merits, what's referred to as the place in treatment, you know, is, does, can this thing work by itself or does it need to be 
in combination with you know drugs B, C, and D, uh, that that all remains to be seen. Right. All right. So let's let's switch gears a bit. So on October 9th of twenty twenty, a New York Times headline read the following: "Quote." The treatment Trump touted as a cure for COVID-19 was developed using cells derived from fetal tissue, unquote. John, was this headline accurate? Why or why not? So, Joe, I think you and I traded emails right when that article was coming out. And mm-hmm. the, the, uh, originally, the, the, the headline was even more salacious that it was and, and perhaps erroneous. And, and, and so the first point here is that the people writing the articles and the people writing the headlines are different people, for better or worse, at newspapers. And um, so oftentimes there, there can be a disconnect. But, but let's go to what you just said. What was the, was the treatment developed using cells derived from fetal tissue? The, uh, that one would be technically correct. Uh, in the, by, uh, and it's something we talked about in that uh, August uh, podcast where – it would seem that the tools used for measurement uh, of of um, the antibody structure, uh, the antibody performance, involved some HEK two ninety three cells, which trace their origin back to a, a, a singular, intentionally aborted fetus. Uh, and but in contrast to um, the antibody was grown up in a vat of cells that come from uh, from that fetus so so it, it's one of these cases where the where part of the ancillary tangential uh, toolbox uh, kinds of materials involved uh, those fetal cells fetal origin cells yeah so so you mentioned the the previous podcast I'd like to, to go back to that and maybe pull this out a little bit more so in that previous Bioethics on Air podcast, you and, and Father Tad Beholjik, our own Father Tad, spoke about what really seems to be a similar issue with regard to the COVID, uh, excuse me, to the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine. So I'm wondering, again, kind of picking up or, or, or building upon what you, what you just said, how are the Regeneron cocktail and Moderna vaccines uh, situations similar and how are they different? Right. So both the um, Regeneron antibodies and the Moderna vaccine active ingredients, the antigen, mm-hmm. uh, and, the, and, and several other products as well, are assessed for, how, for their physical shape. These are, these are um, proteins that have three-dimensional shapes because they're large molecules. And so to, 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 to identify the what's called the conformation, the shape in, in, in three-dimensional space of, uh, of these products. It takes, it takes lab tests to show you where the curves are, to show you where the inflection points are. And, and in the case of an antibody product, there needs to be a, a binding end, a binding uh, to binding sites, bind, binding locations that will go out and grab the virus and latch onto it and let the body uh, break it apart. And so those tests used, um, you use the HEK 293 cells, um, uh, not for, you know, the big production runs, the manufacturing, you know, the literally the manufacturing of, of mass quantities, but rather the testing and the 
confirmation um, um, tests that go along with getting the product ready to to uh, to test in humans. Right. So, just to to kind of clarify here, so both Regeneron and the Moderna, well, the, the Regeneron antibody and the and the Moderna vaccine, the companies themselves were you were not using HEK two ninety three cells, but they were relying on data from other testing from outside companies that were using these lines. Is is that accurate? Yes. Um, so, H- so you can go to hek293.com and, and learn about <laughs> the history of the product and its scientific parameters. And um, but it, it, and its availability goes back quite you know goes back several decades. Oh yeah. And yeah. folks, scientists have um, um, adapted the original cell line to do other things. And so there are two HEK 293T as in Tango cell lines and HEK 293A as in Alpha cell lines. And one has more neomycin resistance that might help you in your, in your testing or more temperature sensitivity or temperature resistance and those sorts of things. So they're, you know, they're lab tools at this point. And so scientists have you know, it, you know, you know, taken the the the, uh, the screwdriver and made various kinds of screwdrivers, if, if, as it were, and uh, that's in that's the case here. And so, in some of the journal articles that, that we've talked about lately, sometimes you know scientists get busy and they, they abbreviate, and so uh, we we found references that simply call them two ninety three T cells. Uh, and, and dropped off the HEK part of it, but it, it, they're all part of the same legacy. So what, what's I, I, this brings up an interesting point because I've I've seen this distinction as well between HEK two ninety three and then these two ninety three T cells. Now they both come from ultimately they come from the same origin, which is a child who was aborted, I believe, in the early nineteen seventies. Is there what what has changed in line uh, to make it a a T cell, a 293 T cell versus the HEK 293. Are the, are researchers making that distinction? So first, I should differentiate. There, when you're measuring immune responses, there are things called T cells, where the T stands for thymocyte, and that's different from what we're talking about here. The here the T right. is a, a is a suffix added on to the 293 to to differentiate kinds of 293 cells. And um, so, you know, do you want a screwdriver that'll work underwater? Do you want a screwdriver that'll work in outer space? Do you want a screwdriver that'll work upside down? It, um, the, the laboratory people may need one that works in a high acidity environment or a low acidity environment. Or mm, got it. A, um, I'm making this up, but, it, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's those, you know, it, it's the how, how do I get the tool to work in my particular application? Will they tweak it just enough to make it different from the previous one. And so they give it a designator and, and that's what the, you know, the A or the T or whatever these other suffixes refer to. Got it. So it's an adaptation essentially of the original cell, uh, uh, cell line. Correct. Got it. All right. I ask you to comment now on a, a quote, um, again, from our own father, Tad, uh, in response to this issue. So, Last week, in a, a Catholic news 
service story on the Regeneron issue. Father Tad stated this, quote, it is unfortunate that these testing tools, which were developed by non-Regeneron researchers, rely on fetal cell lines from abortion. This fact serves to remind us how the abortion mindset has infiltrated all sectors of our society, including many sectors of pharmaceutical research and development, unquote. All right, so John, from your extensive work and experience in the world of pharmaceuticals and infectious diseases and vaccines and everything else, is this quote an accurate portrayal? Why or why not? So I'm going to pivot my answer on, on, the, on the phrase abortion mindset. Yeah, I, doubt, I doubt that most of the scientists have any idea where these cells came from. And so, I, so I, you know, I'm, I'm more worried about ignorance or complacency or inertia that they, you know, they, they are atheistic <laughs> uh, in the sense of, it, you know, just, it, 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 you know, whether it's, uh, they, they could be, well, I, I don't think, I don't think um, I'm going to use it because it comes from abortion. Um, you know, as part of the uh, part of the calculus at all, it's this is what's on my shelf. This is what I'm familiar with. This is what's been used in the past, and so I can build on. You know, people will under people will give my work credibility because they know that HEK two ninety three cells have a certain you know laboratory consistency or uniformity or understanding and. And in it, in it, in it's easy, uh, in, in, you know. And, and and I would wager that, you know, most, you know, ninety-ish percent have no idea where 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 those cells came from. Do in your conversations with people, because I know you said when we we talked about this a little bit on our on our last podcast, when you when you do bring this reality to these researchers, what's their reaction, if any? Um, so, uh, when, when I've done this, oftentimes I've been met with, oh, I, I, oh, I didn't know. How does it matter? You know, that was so long ago. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not procuring abortions in, in, you know, and it's those sorts of simplistic, it's not my fault (laughs) kinds of, uh, kinds of statements. I'm, you know, I'm not, uh, Going out and performing abortions, and so uh, the the uh, fact that it's a legacy aspect seems to provide some provide you know those scientists some distancing, some rationale, some placation, and, and you know, and then but then you it, it is different from the case of uh, fetal cell. Um, tissue treatments that where where one has to have you know fresh cells exactly which is you know a a vastly different situation but in this case they just think but it's on my shelf and uh, how you know how how can i'm just picking up a laboratory reagent and not thinking about the the legacy yeah so what can if anything what can we as members of both well the catholic church and society what is there anything we can do to counter this mindset in the pharmaceutical research and development, particularly as you said, because the the understanding seems to be that you know this is what we have, this is the tool we have on our shelf to try to change 
this tool. I mean, we're going to be walking away from something that we know that works, and in order, but in order to to shift away from it, it's going to cost us a lot of time. It's going to cost us a lot of money because we're going to have to develop a new a new medium or whatever the case may be. With those challenges in place, what can people of faith do to to try to at least bring the issue up, if not seek to you know to gently nudge or pressure? pharmaceutical companies to move away from these uh, these cell lines well awareness is always uh, you know a good a good start and so that's making noise and in uh, writing letters and, and those sorts of those sorts of things but I think the the thing that'll move them fastest is giving them a better alternative that that just happens to be, just so happens to be ethically sound and so you know maybe maybe we should get the, the great Catholic universities of the world to build better mousetraps, to build uh, other cell lines that have, you know, superior, you know, with modern technology that, uh, that you know, that, that have the, the utility that the HEK-293 cell lines have and, and give them an alternative. And then the combination, I think, of the alternative and the, and the awareness will speed the switch. And so maybe it's, you know the Catholic research universities. Maybe it's small biotech startups that that can, you know, in in, in it, it that can invest the time and the effort to create the the better alternative. But there's there's got to be an alternative to um, to to let the companies move to it. Yeah, no, I agree, and it's maybe there's a mandate for our our Catholic universities around the country to actually do that. John, I want to ask you a question that may not be fair because. Um, you may not know the answer to this, but based on what you just said, I'm I'm just thinking of the just in recent years we have a new vaccine for shingles, the Shingrix vaccine, which is uh, developed and, and manufactured, no ethical um, challenges with it at all. Whereas the previous vaccines, Ostavax was developed and manufactured using these cell lines. We also heard recently that um, Sanofi Pasteur has stopped using uh, these cell lines from aborted children in their polio vaccines. And I'm wondering, do you, do you have any information, number one, why these two vaccines, you know, why these manufacturers are moving towards uh, developing these vaccines in, you know, as we would say, uh, ethical ways? And has the the letters that people have written because people do um, they do send letters to the to the pharmaceutical companies. Do you know if if that has had any impact on this move away from from these uh, these aborted fetal cell lines? So I, I wasn't in GSK at the time they were developing Shingrix GlaxoSmithKline, <clears throat> but I, I I I doubt that they developed the products to provide an ethical alternative. <laughs> I, I think their scientists said, "Hey, we got a we got a better mousetrap here. Let's let's develop it." And lo and behold, they had one that had higher uh, effectiveness, and right. um, and the market shifted to go to the one with the one that had higher effectiveness. And fortunately, it was also eth- you know and more ethical. I, I don't know in the case of Sanofi uh, and in their uh, multi. Um, antigen pediatric vaccines. Uh, I, I, I just don't know there. Yeah. 
Well, I will say that Santa Fe is getting letters from a number of people um, thanking them for making that move. So, you know, hopefully, yeah. So, I mean, who knows? All right. As we, uh, as we move towards the end of this interview today, I'm going to ask you to take out your crystal ball and look into the future, hopefully the not too distant future. And I'm wondering, John, when do you think we will have a widely available vaccine for COVID-19? So widely available. Uh, well, we, once again, we have well. To let's let's say available, and then maybe widely available. Let's, let's, <laughs> okay. As you know, I'm, I, I try to be precise. Yes, um, I know. I, I realized that as I was asking the question, I said, "Oh, this is going to." I got to be okay. precise too. So. All right, let's take it a step at a time. So the FDA. So it's October nineteenth, and last week, uh, the FDA issued um, a guidance document. It basically said, um, as you are, you developers are preparing, or, or, you know, getting ready to now be res- uh, the, the, the results of the phase three uh, pivotal clinical trials are now, you know, a month or two or three away. And so as you're, as you're uh, working up your big, thick application packets, uh, keep these things in mind. And the, the, the FDA is likely to to take advantage of a little used part of its uh, of the laws and regulations it operates under to to do something before the standard traditional licensure actions that it takes and it's something called emergency use authorization or EUA and it's when there's just enough evidence that that the, the product should work and the risks uh, are outweighed by the benefits Mm-hmm. And and but, so what the FDA says, okay, so you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, and you need to show us at least two months of safety data in uh, the vaccine recipients, or in, in, in a median of two months. So so it uh, uh, it, it it gives a, a fair amount of, of of experience per person. So and also last week Pfizer issued a letter saying that. It thinks it may be at that point in the third week of November, and so then I started uh, calculating out. Well, how many? So if if let's say Pfizer's exactly right, and they have enough data on the third week in the third week of November, <coughs> excuse me. And I said, okay, let's call that November eighteenth, which is the Wednesday of that week. You know what steps have to happen after that? Well, well, there is a one hundred thousand page report. Company has to send to the FDA, and I <laughs> do not exaggerate. That's that's what it takes. Now you know it's electronic. Wow. In in the old days, they used to rent trucks to take you know five or ten copies of the report down to the FDA. But now it's electronic. But, but sorry, so the, so so wow. it, it is a voluminous amount of uh, information for the FDA. That's quite the attachment, right there. I gotta, I gotta <laughs> more say. than I have, wow. uh, more megabytes than I have authorization to send. Um, so, 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 uh, so the FDA has to read it and, uh, <laughs> or at least, you know, it's part, part of it, part of the reason it's so many pages is that there is a, there is a report on every participant in every study and, and wow. that adds up. Right. And so, yeah. oh yeah, very and, quickly. And, and, you know, and then the FDA doesn't need all those pages all the time, but if they want to look at, well, what, what's the response in left-handed people versus right-handed people, they have the raw data. <laughs> You know, or or people of a certain age, or you know, whatever. 
they have the raw data that they can do their own analysis with. So that's why it's 100,000 pages. But right, so let's say the FDA takes two weeks to do that, you know, to, to read that. The, they, they have pledged to have a public meeting of their advisory committee to, to talk through uh, what, the, what the phase three results show. The FDA is, you know, let's say that's positive. The FDA still needs to, you know, reflect on it and get to its final decision. That's a day or two. The CDC has to convene a meeting of its advisory committee on, well, should this go to people 70 and above, 60 and above, 50 and above, people with diabetes, without this diabetes, and all that. Uh, the CDC has to agree to the uh, advisory committee recommendations. It has to be shipped. This product of Pfizer's is has to be kept ultra cold. And anyway, after all of those steps, my my uh, assumption was the first vaccinations from the first doses might be December fifteenth. Now there's a thousand asterisks around that date, but that's 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 the first doses. And I could be wrong, so let's, let's you know let's uh, get out my salt shaker. Uh, but then you, the way you also phrase your, but, but that's targeted. That's in, it'll be worker, you know, certain workers, healthcare workers for one and certain high risk people, nursing home residents and, and the like. Uh, and then precisely which extra other groups will depend on that CDC advisory committee. But let's say that starts on December 15th. You, the way you phrased the question originally was something, it was something like routinely available. They're widely available. Widely available. So, you know, uh, we're, you know, um, um, widely February, March, April. I mean, each month there'll be more and more available, more and more released, more and more shipped, maybe multiple multiple brands, multiple products. Right. So so I think by spring there'll be a lot of vaccine out there. And so I, so I guess the spring of 21 is the basic answer to your question. Which of the vaccines currently in, clinic, in clinical trials do you think will be approved? In other words, so when we get to, well, December 15th, or actually maybe you know a little later when you get into the spring, which do you think will be available for people? Yes. Yeah, so I think we, we talked about this a little bit before. All of the preliminary data for all of the different products are looking good. Now, the so in there are five different companies that are in phase three trials right now. Uh, one is only in the, in the UK, but it'll come to the US shortly, I predict. Um, the Ast- Oxford AstraZeneca product is still on hold uh, for uh, while well, the FDA looks at one of the um, an adverse event in one of the vaccine right. recipients. Yeah, that but, just came out last week too, didn't it? I think. I'm sorry. That that adverse event just happened very recently. I think it was last week, wasn't it? No, it's actually been. Almost a month, and oh, really? uh, th- th- there was oh, a there was okay. a different product put on hold last. Uh, oh, okay, okay. Oh, I'm sorry, Johnson and Johnson's was put on hold last week. Uh, that's right, or ten days ago, maybe now. And um, so, anyway, so you know, with with all these fits and starts, I I, I see no reason that all five wouldn't eventually get um, approved, uh, licensed. But you know, it, it it takes time, and 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 you know, FDA. No, you know, FDA knows two things, I mean, lots of things, but they know they know the burden of the pandemic and the need for products. They also know they need to make the right science-based decisions, and they're, you know they're going to they're going to be expeditious, but they're not going to be hurry. 
they're they're not going to hurry if that if that if that can make any sense uh you know they're 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 peddling as fast as they can but they're going to be careful yeah and just to clarify too some of the the we we touched on this actually we didn't touch on it we discussed it in our last podcast and i think you talked about it in the doctor doctor podcast too that some of these you know the five that you're talking about some of them are being manufactured or uh, you know manufactured using these HEK-293 cell lines. Some are not. So that's that's still going to be ongoing discussions um, in the future. One other question, and this just came to mind as, as I was going over things just prior to us starting to record. And I think it's it, it's a question that, that you know, you, when you were talking about the difference between a vaccine and um, the antibody treatments, right now, do you think it's better to focus on the vaccine to prevent COVID or on the treatment sort of Regeneron um, for when people get uh, when people get COVID. In other words, based on what you're seeing, is is the better avenue to follow or the better the better battle to be fought on the vaccine end or on the treatment end? You have to do both. <clears throat> so think of your bathtub. You have water in your bathtub. Those are the people who are sick right now. Okay. You know, what are we going to do for them? We need, we need treatments uh, to deal with their present illness. We also want to turn off the spigot. And vaccines turn off the spigot so you don't create, you know, so new cases don't arise. And so you need both things. Um, and they, you just have, and fortunately, we have technologies in both directions. And, um, uh, you know, it's incumbent on science and medicine to, to deliver both to the people. Yeah. John, I love how you use these metaphors that are very easy to understand for, you know, for my non-scientific brain, I, I actually get things when I talk to you. It, it's keep doing it. It's a gift. We're going to keep having you on as, as, as this moves forward. But for today, what uh, final words of wisdom do you have for our listeners? Uh, remember to wear your mask. Uh, people don't say it often enough, but the re- you're wearing a mask so you don't send out droplets. When you speak, when you cough, when you sneeze, when you sing at church, you you know you send out droplets. I send out droplets. You send out droplets. We all send out droplets. Well, I don't sing because I can't sing. So <laughs> but the um, and those droplets contain the virus. And so wearing a mask is uh, being good to your neighbor. And, and and so you don't spread things to your neighbor and you would want your neighbor to do likewise. So that, so wear your mask. And then um, if you're in a place where there's, where they're advertising for clinical trials for the vaccines, uh, I encourage you to, to check it out and um, uh, get a flu shot. <laughs> well stated. John Grabenstein, thank you for joining us on our bioethics on po- on our bioethics on air podcast today. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate uh, appreciate being on. For more information on this topic and other bioethical issues, please visit our website ncbcenter.org and subscribe to our publications Ethics and Medics and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on bioethics on air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, or if you have suggestions for future topics, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot, at J-Z-A-L-O-T at ncbcenter.org. For archived editions of our podcast, please go to our website, hover on the Blogs and Podcasts button, and then click Bioethics on Air. 
Finally, please remember that the NCBC has a 24-hour consultation service. You can contact us by phone at 215-877-2660 or by going to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and clicking on Ask a Question. Thank you for listening today, and may God's peace be with you.